Good afternoon, and welcome to the How to Train Your Wagon podcast, the podcast that takes a family spanning three generations around the world to different destinations. That's right, we travel around the world with in-laws. Hey there, slow down before you get yourself into too much trouble. That's not being fair. We actually enjoy traveling with family. And in this episode... He's my favorite son-in-law. For that short 45-minute walk, he really wasn't my favorite son-in-law at the time, but it was worth it. We had a lot of laughs. The kids still talk about it because they heard me complaining the whole time walking, but we made it, and it was fun. It was enjoyable, and the distillery is worth going to. We share our travel perspectives as someone that travels with the grandparents and kids that range in age from 10 to the early 20s. It's not that you can't travel with a younger audience. In fact, we think that our approach will make traveling with younger audiences even easier. Younger audiences simply mean that you have to account for the different speeds of the younger ones. Each episode will try and help you visualize one particular destination. Typically over the course of the week, we want to help you understand what you will see while you are traveling. And it's not that each episode requires as much time as we're spending on it. But by describing each destination over the course of a week or two, you will have an opportunity to better understand what the trade-offs are between different length itineraries. And this is not just an exercise in walking you through our itinerary. I'm the one that has to bridge different personalities and getting everyone comfortable. For example... I have to account for the picky eaters. We also have questions like where we should stay. How can you enjoy a destination when someone needs to get over jet lag? What are the activities for our faster people and those that want more of a restful experience? We do our best travel planning at the local coffee shop. So pack up the wagon, head to your nearest coffee shop, and pull up a latte while we walk you through our trip to the eastern highlands of Scotland. For today's episode, I'm first going to put my mother-in-law, Karen, on the spot and maybe speak to the Scottish Highlands as a destination she ran point in this particular. So, Karen, my question for you is, why did you choose the Eastern Highlands as a destination? And what were some of the early thoughts when you were putting a Scottish trip together? I do genealogy, and it really pulled me after we found out that we have Scottish blood in us. And I've always enjoyed the, the lore of Scotland. I'm also an Outlander fan, so you combine all that together, and I wanted to go to Scotland. Okay. Now, a point of clarification. Please know that today's episode is not just Scotland, but is also the Scottish Highlands. And in particular, we're focusing on the Eastern Highlands, destinations many of which are uncommon for your typical North American traveler. Kimberly, talk to us about the day one where you don't want to go too far. Talk to me about how you spend that first day as you get off the plane. On our first day in Scotland, we decided to take a short drive to the Fife area. We visited St. Andrews, which is a seaside town northeast of Edinburgh. It's on the coast and overlooking the North Sea, where you can see the ruins of St. Andrews Cathedral on the promenade on the sea. We also visited the links at St. Andrews, which features the old course, famously known for the British Open. Having just taken up golf, this was an impressive sight to behold. We were able to sit at the clubhouse overlooking the 18th hole. We got to see the golfers coming in. So Karen, uh, a few aspects in there we'll explore. First one, talk to me about the city of St. Andrews as a first city you explored in, in Scotland. First of all, we didn't allow enough time for St. Andrews. We did visit the ruins of St. Andrews Cathedral that was built in 1158. And it was the largest church in Scotland at the time. It fell in disuse yeah, after the 16th century after the Catholic mass was outlawed. But the ruins are worth walking around. We also spent a few minutes on the beach there. They actually have two beaches. One's West Sands Beach and the other is East Sands Beach. What was interesting was, if you remember the movie Chariots of Fire, 
that was actually the filming location for that. West Sands is also used more for the water sports area where the East Sands Beach is actually more for children. The beaches overlook St. Andrews Bay, which, is, which then adjoins the North Sea. The thing that I found interesting being the senior part of this traveling group is that for travelers who have mobility issues, you can reserve wheelchairs that are adapted for the beach at no cost. You should call ahead and reserve them, but it's really cool for the people who can't normally get out on the beaches. The little shops and the endless eateries are another asset of St. Andrews. And I think you could stay for two weeks without having to repeat a restaurant. We did drive out to the golf courses and, and the views there from the clubhouse are just something special. We had some drinks overlooking the courses, watching the players on what should have been their most favorite courses ever. I'm not that much of a golfer, but I felt like I was on a movie set. My grandson has plans of going back for a bachelor's party. That's where he wants to go to St. Andrew's Golf Club. So, you know, I would allow much more time. You know, we miss seeing the St. Andrew's Castle, the museum. We would do a round of golf. I would also try to go to St. Rule's Tower to see the view that is promised along with the nighttime ghost tour. I would allow at least three or four days in the St. Andrews area, which unbeknownst to us, we had no idea it offered that many things. And I think we only spent maybe five hours there, which we really we robbed ourselves of a really true experience there. Okay. When putting together three generations to travel, you're the one that deals with the tension between picky eaters. Are we staying at the right place for people? Are we having the right foods? So talk to me about St. Andrews as a food destination. St. Andrews offered a fantastic selection of restaurants to eat, a diverse menu, and variety of food that was produced farm fresh in Scotland. We ended up eating at a restaurant called Forgons. We really enjoyed the restaurant. I will have to say it was the best salmon I've ever had. The other good thing about this restaurant, they're very strict with their allergies. So if you have any allergies in your family, no worries. They also have a kid's menu for your picky eaters. We'll include links to that restaurant in our show notes, but absolutely the right way to kick off two weeks in Scotland. If you're going to go to St. Andrews, this would be a place I would highly recommend. And as somebody who doesn't golf regularly, I think for me a highlight was sitting in the evening in the clubhouse and watching golfers finish up I say it was around eight o'clock at night and watching somebody finish up on the 18th hole, even in the new clubhouse, frankly, on the first there, it really is a stunning sight and absolutely worthwhile. So Karen, there were really two things we're unpacking. So that was the city of St. Andrews as a destination and, and one I th- which I think you both said you would spend more time in. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about the village of Falkland, why you went there and what there is to see in the city of Falkland. I chose Falkland to go to basically because I was an Outlander fan and I wanted to stay at the Coventer Hotel, which is a big to-do in the Outlander show. But I was surprised to find so many other things to do there. The Falkland Castle, I had no idea, which was a summer home for the Stuart Monarchs. I would have liked to spend more time there also. I felt like we we ended up just having to run through. We didn't give it due time, but only because I didn't know what to expect there. This is for my mom and my dad. So describe the checking into the Covenanter Hotel and staying in the town of Falkland. I guess the story is about the innkeeper who came out and, of course, he talked to us about Outlander and is that why we stayed there and did we want to stay in the room that that was used in Outlander and, and all of those kinds of things. And it led to a discussion on wanting uh, to get a picture from the, the fountain in the square looking up at the window where uh, Claire was. And Jamie, who hadn't really entered the picture yet, was standing there looking up at her. 
And actually, at that point in the series, you didn't know who Jamie was. But her husband, Frank, walked up behind Jamie as he was looking up, up at his wife in the window and to ask him what he was doing. And when he walked up to him and turned around, he wasn't there any longer. So there was something mysterious that had going on. Anyway, the innkeeper, there was two, two ladies very nice. One was the innkeeper, and I think one was probably managing the place. Said, oh, if you want me to take pictures of you, we can do that. And it's the window over there, so make sure you go to that window. It was the bathroom window, not the bedroom window, even though you, in the in the series it was the ba- bedroom window. And we'll take a picture of you looking up. So they did that for us, and that was pretty awesome. I think she did it many times for a lot of guests that came through there. Yeah, I, I suppose she did. Yeah. Okay. I really like that story. I think it's a cute story. It, it was a cute moment. It really was. And it was a good introduction to the kind of people that were in Scotland. They were really uh, gracious people. Okay. So we've caught our sea legs over really a day or two in the uh, Fife region, just trying to go a modest distance. And we decided we wanted to head further north into the true highlands and and see some of the more remote sites. In, In the context of family travel, and particularly in Scotland, where not everything is necessarily rail accessible, Kimberly, I'm going to put you on the spot. As you were heading north into the Scottish version of I-95, talk to me about the conditions of Scottish roads and the, the highlights and perhaps lowlights of driving in the highlands. Let's start at the top of the pyramid and go down. I feel anybody with a driver's license can drive in Edinburgh. I would say Edinburgh, Glasgow, and Perth are fine by anyone's standards. I think the roads were good. Once you leave Perth going north, understand that the roads are two-lane, non-divided highway. So we're heading to the capital of the Highlands, Inverness. You will get stuck behind a truck of some kind, and your pace of travel, either slower or faster, depends on who you're behind. But sometimes when we travel elsewhere, we can make up time if you're running late. Here in Scotland, I don't think you can make up your time if you're running late. So make sure you have your watch on, you leave when you need to, because people driving in the Highlands should plan on taking longer than expected. Um, it's a 55 mile an hour speed limit. You may not be comfortable going that. So there, there's a couple of reasons why you want to make sure you, you stay on time. Now, the roads get smaller and more dangerous as you go up north to the highlands. For example, we ended up taking the road from Loch Ness to Edinburgh in the wee hours of the morning to take our daughter home to the airport. The road had hairpin turns, fog, like as thick as pea soup. It was very challenging, pretty difficult. I felt like I was white knuckle driving the whole drive to the airport. The east-west roads in the highlands are one lane roads for turnoffs. As you head towards the Western Highlands, the road became forest access roads and you are playing a game of chicken with the other drivers. And that is so true. I felt like that many times. So a point of order, as soon as you get about an hour north of Edinburgh, just past Perth, the divided highway, that is their major north-south road that goes from the Orkney Islands and uh, Thurso to Edinburgh, it transitions from a divided highway to a two-lane undivided highway. That's a little bit of context to what uh, Kimberly was speaking to. So you, you're making your way north to Inverness, and you stop by a quaint mountainous town called Pitlochry. And perhaps uh, one of the reasons it's famous for, besides its uh, fine restaurants on the main drag, is also its uh, distillery tour that has two of them there, Blair Athol and Idridar. Kimberly, your experience at the Idridar distillery in Pitlochry? It's small, quaint, single malt facility that you can take individual or group tours we decided to take the group tour. 
The tour guide was hilarious. Imagine that your tour guide is doing a Mike Myers impression of his Scottish accent in the movie Shrek. He would joke, but he would also teach you about the scotch. It was a great family experience. Our kids were laughing. Our grandparents were laughing. He would talk about the shoulder injuries that workers would develop on the barley floor from turning the barley over the heat. It was called monkey shoulder. Not only did he talk about it, he tried to make his shoulder look like a monkey shoulder. As it turns out, it was one of the better blended scotches that they make. I would have to say, you have to be able to walk a little, do some steps, but it's not too strenuous. And let's not forget, Ejador Distillery does have generous parking and a road to get you to the distillery. No hike required. So Karen, why don't you talk to me about the <laughs> the hike to Ejador and uh, touring the distillery? My sweet son-in-law <laughs> decided we were going to take the, the hike to this distillery, and I'm talking, I think we went through weeds three feet tall in this little footpath. I keep thinking, there's no way this is right. There's not going to be a business at the end of this. After about a 45-minute hike, we come to this clearing, and I'm seeing a road, parking lots, and this very nice distillery. He's my favorite son-in-law. For that short 45-minute walk, he really wasn't my favorite son-in-law at the time, but it was worth it. We had a lot of laughs. The kids still talk about it because they heard me complaining the whole time walking, but we made it, and it was fun. It was enjoyable, and the distillery is worth going to. Okay. And Bob, can you speak to where you ate in Pit Lockery and uh, going to Victoria's for lunch? Sure. Pit Lockery was a, a great town. Uh, Came to discover Pit Lockery as a resort town for the British. They'd like to go there just for weekends and time off. A charming little town, village, a tourist town. It seemed like it was the main street there. It was Aurora Street. And anyway, you'll find your way to it. It's the main street going, and, and we were walking up the street, and we passed this place that called Victoria's that looked very inviting. Kim may have went up to see if they could sit seven of us, which they were able to do. And... That alone is probably a, a great accomplishment in a busy town like, like Pickett Lockery was. And the food was great. Everything that we had to eat there was great. I had salmon there, and it was awesome. As our first experience with salmon, I decided anyway it's going to be my go-to meal. So, <laughs> And it is a good meal in Scotland. As you made your way to Inverness, you made another stop at the layout working sheepdogs. This is a farm that shows you how sheep and shepherds work. Tell us about the experience. And we got to sh watch a show of how these remarkable dogs just could herd off of the orders of whistles and the one shepherd, which I remember he was saying there's only two shepherds left in the Scotland area anymore. But anyway, these dogs were just so well trained. He showed us how one dog in itself could herd a hundred sheep all by itself. It was remarkable. It, it held everybody's attention. I'm watching small children that were just mesmerized by this. And the other fun thing they did after the show was over with these dogs, they allowed you to participate in cutting the sheep. I enjoyed it immensely. And the dogs were just fun. The, the puppies were adorable. It's well worth your time finding it and going to it. And I think I remember you're the only one in the group that sheared a sheep, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I tried to get everybody else involved in the shearing, but... 
No, I went and sheared the sheep. Oh, so did oh, okay. Kaylee. So did Andy. Then I would also have to say the girls' favorite part of this was when the puppies came out and played with us. Absolutely. They let a whole bunch of little puppies out, and that was super amazing. Neil Ross is a shepherd, and he gave us an experience. So it's along the A9 highway, Lealt working sheepdogs. On the way you stopped and saw the uh, Culloden Battlefield and, and Cawdor Castle. Kimberly, do you want to speak to uh, touring the general vicinity of, of Inverness? Inverness is nestled in the Scottish Highlands between the mountains and the sea. We really enjoyed the location, the restaurants, music, history. It's a major city center of traditional Scottish music. The pubs were hopping. As we were walking outside the pubs, we keep hearing the music, so we quickly went into a pub, sat down to listen to the live performances. We found out that they were high school students, which made it very special. Now, unfortunately, I had one daughter who was unable to travel the whole time due to her school internship, so we had to pick her up at the Inverness train station. And of course, I'm a nervous wreck because she's never traveled internationally by herself before. And now she has to take a taxi to the train station from the airport. She said it was rather easy, but she also gave me a five-minute story of her experience on the train. She's walked into the train cart, and I'm envisioning the movie Hangover after her story. People were happy, partying, and she had a couple of shots herself. She said people in Scotland were extremely friendly, and it was the best way to start her vacation. Okay. Your experience in Inverness is the uh, gateway to the Scottish Highlands? The Inverness was more city-like, and I was just getting into just seeing Mother Nature at her best. It was a great place for restaurants, boutiques, but I really wanted to get back to nature. Okay. Perfect. So, Bob and Karen, I understand you were eager to see the Culloden Battlefield. Please describe your experience walking this solemn site. Yeah, to me, it was just a very sobering place to visit, and... I was struck how quiet everyone just naturally became. You know, if, and if anybody spoke, it was only in a, a, a whisper. Okay. Okay. My view of Culloden Battlefield, anyway, was uh, it, it was impressive. It is the place where the two armies led, one led by Prince Charles Stuart, and he was the Scottish commander. And his army was made up of Scots mostly, but it had Irish and French. And they, opposing them was the Duke of Cumberland, and his co- army was comprised of Scots and Irish, and the total strength of each of their armies was somewhere around 8,000 for the British and 7,000 for the Scots, so it was a pretty even match. When you walk around the battlefield, though, you'll discover why, even with an even match, there was a definite benefit to being the defender against the attacks across the moor, because the moor was soggy, wet, heavily grass, and it uh, wouldn't have been easy to, to get across. Another thing about the battle, one hour after it began, 1,500 to 2,000 Scots had, were either dead or wounded against the only 300 British that lay dead or wounded uh, within one hour. If you go to the visitor center, you'll get a blow-by-blow description of how the battle took place. Uh, but walking the battlefield is uh, remarkable. You can see and feel how difficult it must have been to be there on that day so on that day, functionally united the entire island and, and Scotland, England, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, all became under the rule of Britain. So it was very historically significant and worthwhile seeing so that you would definitely understand why it turned out the way it did and how it turned out. 
And as a gateway to the highlands, Inverness can be used to explore a couple things. Uh, you can certainly go west and very readily do some of the Loch Ness tours. If you head east of there, you can hit some of the distilleries at Speyside. I believe the Spey River just east of there has more distilleries than any other region of Scotland. And again, as you continue a little bit south of the east of there into some of the more difficult mountain drives, they have the Royal Summer Residence, Balmoral Castle. All those are things that are relatively accessible from Inverness. In addition, if you don't have the ability or means as we did to go toward the Orkney Islands, there is some millennial old rooms that still exist. Pre-Celtic will include some links to those particular rooms in our show notes for today. But again, Karen, looking at the itinerary, you want to go north and really see some of the more uncommon things, as you pointed out, really get back to nature. And so I see you took a not easy five-hour drive to the port of Scrabster and Thurso in the Stromness. So talk to me about your experience in the Orkney Islands. We took the two-hour ferry ride from Stromness and the Orkney Islands, which was very interesting. We got to see the sea stacks. It was just enjoyable. It was a little windy out there, but going to the Orkney Islands, it was it's worth the trip to do it one time. I would say the Orkney Islands is a must. You have to go to a place that has so much history. It has World War One, World War II sites called Scapa Flow, which is the Royal Naval Base. They found these hazelnut shells in a place called Tankerness on the mainland in 2007 that dates back 6,800 years ago. They found a presence of Mesolithic nomadic tribes. They also found a village called Scar Bray. It's a Neolithic settlement believed to be inhabited at 3100 BC. They have the standing stones of Stenness around that era, the Mayshall Passage Grave, the Ring of Brogar, and other standing stones. I think this allows anybody at any age to appreciate history. It was pretty impressive to look at Scar Bray and see how a family lived 5,000 years ago and realize they had a family room, they had a bedroom, very similar to the way we live. And a couple things there, just in terms of those that are inclined to explore the Orkney Islands, I encourage you to really pull up Google Maps and, and see how difficult it is to get to. We certainly talked about the two-lane undivided highway for really the better part of what seemed like three hours and then another two hours to and from to get to the Port of Thurso itself. It's not an easy drive. Take a, a high cliff road above the North Sea, but very much uh, stunning and visually worth it. And again, one thing I encourage this audience to check out in advance is the ferry schedule is not terribly easy. It does fill up in the summer months as people from around the world are anxious to explore some of the more remote Scottish destinations. Like anywhere, please make your reservations in advance and please make sure you get to the port in advance. I think oftentimes on the east coast of the United States, you can make up for uh, time with uh, fast road conditions. I would say that if you're counting the makeup time on the road in the Scottish Highlands, it will not happen. That is right. Being the driver on this trip, you're not going to make time up on the roads. But we did use Northlink ferries. That brought us over to the Orkney Islands. We upgraded our ticket to first class so we could have a nap worth the upgrade. So as you pointed out, you sailed from Scrabster and Thurso past the Old Man of Hoy sea stacks into the town of Stromness. 
So, uh, Kimberly, describe the town of Stromness when you land, because I think our audience will be struggling with, do they, should they take the, the more uncommon ferry to Kirkwall, which is the bigger city, or should they go to the town of Stromness? Talk to me about the Stromness experience. So I was really happy that we ended up in Stromness. And by the way, you will have to have a car if you're going to go on the Orkney Islands. This is not a place in Scotland where you can rent a car or you can call for Uber or taxis. And maybe this is where the Orkney Islands differ from the rest of Scotland, We're leaving the North Link Ferries parking lot thinking we have like a five-minute drive to our hotel. Well, it was basically across the street in the parking lot. 30 seconds later, we're in our hotel. And as we check in, the receptionist asks us whether we wish to make dinner reservations. He then goes, you know, we're the only restaurant in town. Karen, your perspective on the Orkney Islands and maybe some of the other attractions you saw on the Orkney Islands? Kim said going to Scarbray was interesting to me to say that it was older than Stonehenge was something because I, I was so thrilled to see Stonehenge when I did. It's a beauty of its own kind. I think it's overwhelming to some people because it is so old. And looking at your itinerary, it looks like there was a rather attractive cliffside hike on the west coast of the Orkney Islands. I will include a link to that particular natural park and hike along the west coast there. Very much uh, visually stunning. And really in a contrast to the rest of the island where the interior of the island maybe has some uh, inland water and is flat without trees, I contrast that with a hike along some pretty substantial cliffs and canyons on the west coast of the Orkney Islands. It didn't represent a very nice contrast to whatever else you saw. So we talked about some of the millennial attractions and even some of the attractions that go back a thousand years. Some of the things you'd want to check out for those of you, as my kids did, have seen the movie Brave with some of the vertical columns or some of the vertical stones, I think, that were represented in in Outlander where Claire transforms back in in time using some of these stones. They did have what they call the Standing Stones of Stenness, very much similar to style attraction. They did have the Ring of Brodger, again, very much a Stonehenge-type vertical monument put together a long time ago. And the one thing that requires advanced planning is the Maeshow burial grounds. It's in the middle of the island. You barely recognize it from the outside. It looks like a pile of earth with grass Mm -hmm. growing over it. But among the other interesting things there, and when you walk through the different areas of the burial crypt, it does appear that there was some Viking graffiti that might be at this stage, I seem to recall, nine centuries or more old. So it absolutely is worthwhile. And then really the last thing to speak to in the Orkney Islands, I'll ask uh, our guest to speak to, is the uh, town of Kirkwall, the medieval city. Kimberly, you want to share your experience on Kirkwall? Kirkwall was an easy day trip out of Stromness. It's the largest town in the Orkney Islands. It offers the Italian chapel, which is probably a 15-minute stop, but really beautiful. Also, St. Magnus Cathedral. There's a lot to see in this town. Kirk has a little bit more substance. There's more shops, places to eat, little different than Stromness. They have the old Bishop's Palace. Again, they have the chapel built by Italian prisoners of war in World War II with the bridges that were designed to deter U-boats. The harbor there was famous where after the end of the war, the German high fleet was interred then scuttled by the German sailors as they saw they were going to have to hand over the fleet to the British. And indeed, uh, diving there was strong for many years and I think allowed the Orkney Islands to withstand much of the Great Depression as they continued to salvage additional metal off the ships that had been scuttled there. Obviously, the Royal Oak uh, in harbor was sunk by a U-boat in the early days of World War. And then really the last thing I would say about the Orkney Islands and 
Kirkwall is the distillery Highland Park, which in my mind is is a tremendous Scotch whiskey distillery, is located just south of, of Kirkwall. And interesting fact is, to me, the Highland Park whiskey oftentimes tastes like the uh, sea air being in the Orkney Islands uh, with the sea spray. If you want a little bit of the Orkney Island experience in a bottle, I encourage you to sample the fare from Highland Park. We are wrapping up this episode on the Eastern Highlands of Scotland. We will have two more episodes airing on the Western Highlands, including the Isle of Skye, Isle of Mall, and let's not forget the Loch Ness and Ullapool. And our third episode will be on Edinburgh. I hope you enjoyed this episode and look forward to hearing from you. Hey, listeners, if you like our podcast and enjoying traveling with your family, then this is the right podcast for you. Please show your support by clicking subscribe in however you listen to this podcast, whether it be in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Amazon Music. Please enjoy our newest episodes as we are producing a new episode every week. We thank you and appreciate your continued support.